Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers continued their role, getting their record to 4-0 and to start the season, beating the San Francisco 49ers for the first time in what feels like years, 17-3 to at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. And this was a bizarre game because it's one of the first times in years that the Packers dominated a game in which they didn't put up huge numbers on offense. Uh, so we'll obviously uh, speak about that as well as many of the other things that arose yesterday. Matt, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. A weird game, and I guess for starters, do you feel better, worse, or about the same about this team? Um, I, I guess I'd say about the same. I think the defense is showing some nice flashes that you know makes you think that we might have something a little better than we've had the last few years. I, I don't take anything negative away from the offense. I think San Francisco has a pretty good defense, but they clearly kind of packed it in a little bit because they knew they weren't going to get challenged by the 49ers offense. So mm-hmm. you, you pretty much put it on your defense there in the second half, and they came through great. Uh, and San Francisco's offense looked pretty pretty pitiful, so I, I, don't, I don't know how uh, much that really amplifies how good we looked. But, hey, it's still good to get a defensive win, which, like you said, it's been a long time. Yeah, if anything, it shows how they might be more well-rounded this year than they were in other years. Kaepernick sucks. He's he's so bad. I mean, some of those passes that it it's almost like the ball doesn't come out of his hand properly. Just skipping passes into people's shins. I can't remember the last time I saw a quarterback look that bad. Yeah, I was trying to think of that too, and I'm sure we have, but that was one of the worst quarterback performances I can remember I think I heard a stat today uh, I, I didn't double check the stats to see if it was accurate but I think he only had three completions over five yards oh wow and and that one was that bomb to Torrey Smith which accounted for pretty much all of his stats yeah but um I mean he just looked terrible he couldn't hit a guy who was standing wide open 10 yards in front of him it was either skipped into the ground or overthrown it was for an NFL quarterback to throw that badly it was really shocking and it's not like the guy hasn't done it before it's never been his strength, but he's never been this bad either. It's, it's kind of strange. Yeah, he finished um, 13 completions on 25 attempts for 160 yards and an interception. You mentioned the bomb to Torrey Smith. He also had a 40-yard gain to Quinton Patton that was essentially a handoff. Uh, there was a millimeter of air between um, uh, travel time for the ball there, and uh, he ended up basically it was a jet sweep that was credited as a pass just because when he let go of the ball. So they completely shut him down, and to me it felt a little bit like a teenager going into a dark basement that used to terrify you when you were three. It's like, why were we ever afraid of this guy? Well, and, and early on I kind of felt a little bit of that too when he started running a little bit, and you're like, oh, geez, I guess even regardless of how bad he's looked throwing the ball this year, he might not even have to do that this game mm-hmm. because he looked like he might run all over him, but they pretty quickly bottled that up, put a stop to that. And, um, yeah, after that, it was smooth sailing when they tried to make him throw. Yeah, I don't want to take any credit away from the Packers' defense, but Kaepernick was so bad yesterday that I think they get the credit, and they've been really solid this year, but it felt almost like a clone of that December win last year against Tampa Bay where they completely shut them down. They held them to under 200 yards of total offense. I think they only had two first downs in the second half. From a statistics standpoint, that's almost identical to what they did to Tampa last year. But in the same vein, that team was pathetic offensively yesterday. And maybe you can attribute some of that to the way they played on offense as well. Like you said, they packed the box a little bit, and, and they, they played a lot of cover too, which has sort of been Aaron Rodgers' antidote over the years. But it felt like another game where the whole team realized by about halfway through the second quarter that if we don't self-destruct, this team doesn't have a prayer against us. Right, and I think you can take maybe less away from our defensive performance from the secondary because they just were not tested at all. Yeah. But I think you can take a lot away from the front seven. I thought they played very well. Jaron Elliott played really good again. Clay was everywhere. Peppers had some nice plays. So although the, the receivers and the, the passing of the quarterback was, was pitiful, I mean, you still got a mobile quarterback. You still got a decent run game and a decent offensive line. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if anything... In years past, even with a good running offense, the Packers maybe still get gashed a little bit by a team like this. So for them to completely you know, pack it in and stop that, 
and Carlos Hyde got nothing going, and Kaepernick mm-hmm. didn't get much going in, with his legs in the second half either. So mm-hmm. I think you can take a lot away from that. I think that's a big win. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Carlos Hyde, eight carries, 20 yards, a seven-yard long was uh, his, his biggest carry of the game. And I'll agree with you. I think the secondary wasn't tested at all, but that front seven... Mike Daniels and B.J. Raji were like, so far this year, I mean, including yesterday, was probably their best performance. But this year, they've been like Dan Hampton and Steve McMichael for the, you know, just yeah. disrupting everything. And then you're allowing Clay Matthews and Peppers and J. Ron Elliott and even Nick Perry to kind of do their Richard Dent and Wilbur Marshall and Otis Taylor impression. And I know that's 85 Bears. It sounds ridiculous with how this pass rush has been going. But I checked today. The Packers have 17 sacks in four games. That's on pace for 68 sacks. The 85 Bears had 64 sacks. So they're outpacing the 85 Bears rushing the passer right now. Yeah, I'll eat everything I said about Rashi the last couple of years. I have not been a big fan of this guy, and he did not look good for the last few years even. I've been ready for him to be on his way out of town. But something has happened where this guy's had a renaissance, Mm -hmm. and he's looked unstoppable. It's been insane. So you match that up with, you know, a J-Rone who's playing well. Daniels continues to play really well. He's really been their only major player on that defensive front for the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. you get a couple of guys around him, and all of a sudden you see guys like Nick Perry and Mike Neal stepping up and looking better than you thought they were too, um, just because the players around him are playing better. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with the way Raji's playing. Yeah, it's funny because B.J. Raji did yoga this offseason, and that's how he's so much better. And Mike Daniels has been doing MMA to get better. <laughs> so a bit of a... Like the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, but it's both been very effective. Yeah. The uh, BJ Raji played as well as you would expect a number nine pick in the draft to play yesterday. And Mike Daniels, you know, another game where he plays like an all-pro. And Clay Matthews, I don't know if it was a personal vendetta that he had against Kaepernick that let them set him free a little bit, but he was the old pass rushing Clay Matthews and I noticed that earlier in the game where um, I don't know if it's more confidence in BJ Raji or Nate Palmer it once again being a very solid run support uh, middle linebacker it, it felt like he did more pass rushing yesterday than he did in either of the previous three games I don't have the stats behind it but it certainly appeared that way watching yeah I, yeah I'd agree I don't really have the stats either but it seemed like he was in the backfield a lot more and making more of the plays in in the pocket rather than outside um, so I, I, I'd probably agree with that. I, I wonder if he maybe put a bug in the defensive coordinator's ear and said he wants to hit Kaepernick a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Any, he, uh, I don't know. He still he plays right up to that line as far as hitting guys. Oh, late. Yeah, he had a couple of times yesterday where, and I think one of the announcers even made a comment like, "Guess who? It's Bo- or it's 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 uh, Clay." Yeah. When he, I think he got in a scrum at the end of a play. Yeah, the the announcers didn't. I need to listen more carefully when when Buck and Aikman are doing games where there's an overwhelming favorite, but it felt like they were trying their best to will the 49ers into a competitive game. Yeah, that was kind of a strange game of the week. There wasn't a real good schedule of games yesterday, but they kind of have to come into games like that just thinking, like, oh, man, I just hope this thing isn't a blowout. Yeah. It's probably pretty tough for an announcer to call a game like that because you got to think of all this other stuff to talk about that's not related to the game at all. Yeah. So really probably in the back of both of their minds, they're hoping that San Francisco can pull it close. Yeah, but they didn't have to go as far as to say, well, what are the Packers going to do now that James Jones and Cobb are both out of the – well, here comes, here comes Cobb, here comes Jones. <laughs> this is going to be a big injury week for the Packers. And then the next play after they say that, they both walk back onto the field. Yeah, they're almost – and I'm sure that, that wasn't intentional. They're, they have their list of in-case-of-blowout-talk-about-these types of topics, and I'm sure that's the, the situation they were in. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of both Buck and Aikman. I don't, I don't get the hate that a lot of Packer fans have for them. But that moment right there was kind of like, come on, just tell the story of the game instead of trying to force something. Right. So let's talk about that offense. They cruised down the field – on the first drive, they were aided a little bit by some penalties. They almost had a huge touchdown at the beginning of the game that just, I don't know if it was missed by Ty Montgomery or a little bit too far, but they would have had a huge touchdown to start. Aaron Rodgers had one of the classic Aaron Rodgers run around in the pocket for yeah. 15 seconds. <laughs> um, so they, they were good there. And then really after that, they, they had San Francisco clamped down on them, and uh, they didn't look all that great. And at times, Aaron looked really frustrated uh, for the rest of that first half. They were able to recover in the second half, but weird performance for the offense. Yeah, it's really hard to gauge just because they had the lead. And from what you were seeing from Kaepernick, you kind of knew you were safe with a 14-point lead. But it really did seem like the receivers were struggling to get open, which is maybe a little bit of a, a thing for concern because we kind of thought, you know, you, you see that Jordy and Cobb have separation ability, 
But does a guy like James Jones really? Probably not. I mean, he makes the spectacular catches. Mm-hmm. But when you're just trying to get the ball moving here, and Cobb appeared to be pr- a little bit banged up even throughout the rest of the game, maybe more of a decoy with yeah. whatever was going on with him. But if you've got, you know, James Jones is your primary, he's not going to burn somebody or get open on a slant as often. Mm-hmm. So that seemed to be a little bit of a concern for me. Um, overall, I think that it was just super, super conservative, and I'm sure Rodgers was frustrated, but you could tell he was eating the ball and taking sacks in cases where he probably would normally maybe take a shot or throw it away or something. Just knew that he might as well just sit on the ball, run off 45 seconds, and then just punt it away. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. And they definitely struggled trying to find a deep option again. It was troubling to see them run that play-action boot that had been an automatic touchdown to Jordy for the last four years, and it ends up Rodgers holding the ball and then throwing like a seven-yard dump pass to John Kuhn. So we've talked about that so far this season, and I think they're going to have to find somebody emerge as the season goes on. But with that being said, they did have the kind of circus catch by James Jones along the sideline. So, I mean, that's you don't really plan that. That's kind of a jailbreak thing. But if Ty Montgomery catches that pass on the opening drive, and then the second or third drive, they had Richard Rodgers open, and either Rodgers drifted too far towards the boundary or Aaron Rodgers just missed him. But if they make those two throws, then all of a sudden we're talking about how the deep game's back. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, and you're up, you know, 28-3, and the game's completely out of hand. That Montgomery one hurt a lot, for sure. I mean, you'd like to see him step up and make that play, and hit him right in the hands. A very tough catch to make, like right over your shoulder, but he's got to make that one, too. Yeah, Um, but those uh, were also the plays that, you know, it's his fourth career game. So, but it's not like the guy hasn't played college receiver for you know for four years and played high school for four years either. I mean that that's yeah. a catch that although it's a, t- a difficult catch to make is pretty elementary when you're running routes or or playing in a game situation. No, that's definitely fair. But at the same point, look how much better Jordy was in 2011 and 12 at deep balls than he was in 2008. Yeah, you but I, that wasn't exactly like a jump ball. Like you're beating a guy in tight coverage. He was just running a fly. It was right in his hands. And yeah. I, I know even the best receivers, receivers will drop those, too. But yeah. I, I always find that weird. It seems like you see these elite receivers in college that will never, ever drop a ball. And then you think it to the pros, and suddenly they're just, like, dropping balls. And it's kind of hard to picture them as being, like, a best player on their, their team in college when all of a sudden they can't catch it. It's sort of a weird dynamic when you get to the league, and all of a sudden these guys just don't look nearly as good. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, Sometimes, yeah, it's his fourth career game. I, I think he'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, he'll but, be fine. But you're totally right, though. But even the more bizarre is a guy like James Jones, who is talked about now in the NFL as having some of the best hands in the league. And in 2010, it was like he was playing with two casts on his hands. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he had a lot of bad drops back in his uh, earlier couple of days, or a couple of years for the Packers. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, and fumbles, remember? He used to be a big fumble yes. risk. Was that, uh, oh, what was that, 2007 with that really bad Bears game? I think he had that really bad fumble. It was kind of his MO at that point. Yeah, he had, he had two really bad Bears games. So in 07, they lost to the Bears at home when he fumbled on, like, two straight drives. And then in 10, they were going down for a game-winning field goal, and then he fumbled there. And then it eventually led to, like, that was the drive that led to the Bears winning, I think. And that's when they gave, like, a... You know, a doomsday device to Matt Forte and, you know, all that kind of business. But, yeah, so speaking of 2007, um, this is the fourth time that the Packers have gone 4-0 and since the Lombardi years, those being 1998, 2007, and 2011. And while I'm as excited as anyone about the fast start for the Packers, you'll note if you're a Packers uh, historian that 1998, 2007, and 2011 got them nothing in terms Pretty of the post- devastating finishes <laughs> in those years. Yeah, combined between the three seasons, they won one playoff game. Uh, that being in 07 with the snow game against Seattle, they were one and done in both 1998 and in 2011. So I don't, I mean, I'm certainly excited, and it doesn't mean that anything bad is going to happen uh, to this team, but. You know, 4-0 is great, but it doesn't quite assure you anything in terms of championships. And luckily, a lot of the veteran leaders on this team, including some younger guys like Randall Cobb, were on that 2011 team, and I'm sure they're well aware. Yeah, that's big. But you're right, it's really nice because going into a year, you assume this team is a playoff team, but there's always the small fear that something could happen where maybe they go 9-7 and and they just miss it. Uh, it happens to the best of teams sometimes, but you're kind of secure at this point in thinking that barring any major injuries, 
they're probably in. So at least mm-hmm. you got that first step accomplished, most likely. I don't see this team losing, you know, whatever, only winning six more games the rest of the year. And even that probably still gets you in. Yeah. Um, but you're kind of at that point, but they're still vulnerable enough, and there's still enough season where anything can happen that they could get caught by somebody on a bad or on a bad day that they have, just like they did in the last 2011 season where they were 4-0 against mm-hmm. the Giants team that you think they're clearly much better than. So. I still think they're clearly much better than. The... Yeah, and I think most people would too, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl, so it's, it's hard to really make a great case for that unless maybe you're a Packer fan and watched every game that year that the Packers played. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think this team's very good. I think right now they're definitely the best team in the NFC, but again, we're only a quarter of the way through. That could definitely change. Well, and the thing that they have going for them, and, and maybe this doesn't affect pro players like we think it does, but unlike 2011 when they were just steamrolling teams, and 2007 when they were such a surprise, these guys are Maybe the quietest 4-0 team I've seen in a long time where everybody's like, yeah, Green Bay 4-0, they're good, everybody sure. knows it. But they're not just, yeah, just expected. Yeah, exactly. They're beating teams handily, but it's not at like a historic pace, and they're not just blowing people off the field. And they're not alone either. So there are now six undefeated teams, and this is the first time since 2003 that there has been as many as six undefeated teams after four weeks. And in 2003, they were Carolina, Seattle, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Minnesota, and Denver. And they're a Nate Poole push-out catch-away from all six of those teams being in the playoffs that year. So that certainly bodes well for the Packers, and it bodes well for the rest of the undefeated teams this year. But at least, I, I don't think this team, after what happened last year and with how many veterans they have and the type of coach that Mike McCarthy is, I don't think they'd get full of themselves and start overlooking people. But it's certainly, as far as having to field those questions and worry about undefeated talk, the fact that it's so crowded amongst the undefeated teams right now, the Packers, as maybe the best easily of those undefeated teams, other than maybe New England, can kind of get lost in the shuffle, and they don't have to answer anything but questions about St. Louis. Yeah, I think you're right. And you really haven't heard as much about New England either, too, and I know they just had a bye week, but they're kind of assumed there, whereas you get these fun teams like Atlanta and Carolina that maybe people didn't see this coming from, and, you know, they're obviously the people that... And I heard somebody on the radio today on ESPN, like, who's the best team in the league, do you think? You know, is it Atlanta, or, or who is it? And I was like, well, it's... And they didn't say New England or Green Bay. I forget who else they mentioned. Yeah. I was like, that's just stupid. <laughs> like, oh, it's pretty I know. clearly... If it's not Green Bay, which I think most people would say, it's definitely New England is an easy number two. <laughs> well, and that's so, the thing. That's what's nice about all this, is you have stuff like on Fox yesterday where they're like... Well, who's impressing you so far in the NFC after four weeks? And then you get Bradshaw, I like the Carolina Panthers. And you look at their schedule and who they've beaten. Houston, Tampa. Um, yeah, it's been terrible. Just trash. <laughs> and, and I think Atlanta's been the same way. Who's Atlanta beat? They, they've beaten Dallas with Whedon. They've beaten the Texans, who are terrible. They beat the Giants in a come-from-behind victory. And they barely beat the Eagles, who are clearly not very good either. So... Yeah, let them have all the headlines and look towards the big showdown between Atlanta and Carolina, and the Packers will just keep doing their thing. Absolutely. So, I don't know what else. This is another one of those games. Going back to that Tampa Bay game, I always remember that podcast, ironically, because you said this is a game nobody will remember next season because it was so... Um, uneventful and yeah, I already kind of don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly this game should be more eventful because they finally beat in san francisco but it kind of feels like beating up your old nemesis with two arms tied behind their back it doesn't feel yeah, yeah. as satisfying as it should have yeah like the clay bicep kiss and everything was not nearly as satisfying as it probably should have been just because they looked so awful it's hard to really get too excited about that win when you're uh, against it. They're wearing the same uniforms, but clearly weren't the same team that you had so much trouble with. Yeah, and Harbaugh's not there. That's true. I wanted to see him sulk on the sidelines when they beat him. and uh, Just sort of feel bad for Jim Tom Sula. Yeah. Well, yeah, somebody needs to get him a, a cool towel or something because he either has a cut man from boxing put Vaseline all over him or <laughs> or he's just on verge of a heat stroke the whole time. It, he looked terrible. But I don't know. Do you think I don't know that much about him other than some of the bravado that he had prior to the season? But he seemed to be supportive of the players. And somebody mentioned where it might have been Joe Buck, where he is trying to get this team mentality over. And some guy was celebrating when they were clearly going to lose, and he kind of yeah. went over and talked to him, and be like, "Hey, this is really not the the time for that." 
Yeah, I, it just seems like he came into a bad situation, and I, I think we've talked about this before, but did you hear those uh, preseason press conferences that he had where he just made a bunch of weird sounds the whole time? <laughs> I, I think I heard about it, but I did not hear the actual audio. Yeah, you got to listen to them. They're really funny. He gets asked all these questions. He's just like, uh, uh, I don't know, like the whole time, and then <laughs> the interviewer starts getting really upset. And I think a lot of people like heard those, and he's just kind of a weird guy to begin with. I think he just kind of has a, a strange reputation. Yeah. And you lose Jim Harbaugh, who is so good. And it's just that's that's a really rough spot to come into as a coordinator who's never been a head coach with a team that lost everybody. Yeah. It's almost like this guy's set up to fail, and he'll be gone probably after next year. I feel bad for those guys because you almost have to take the head coaching jobs when they come. I mean, you think mm-hmm. about guys like Sherm Lewis, who was on the short list for years of future head coaching positions and then never got the chance. So you almost have to take it. But, yeah, you can't say no to it, but you're maybe setting yourself up to never get another job again after that if you flame out. Yeah, completely ruin your reputation, and then you're toast. I don't know. There's some of those guys, like, they should talk to Norv Turner. Like, how the heck does he be so bad for years and years and still get jobs? Dave wants that, too. <laughs> like, I don't get it. So I wanted to do, before we talk about uh, some other stuff, um, I wanted to do... A SWAT analysis on the Green Bay Packers. So that's it's kind of a marketing thing, a business thing. But after four weeks, I wanted to briefly go through the Packers' strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So we'll go through the SWAT, and we can each throw out one for each of the four letters. So let's start with strengths. What is an area that the Packers are clearly good at that you aren't worried about um, maintaining throughout the rest of the year? Uh, can I be completely obvious and say the quarterback position? I, <laughs> sure. I, I don't want to... I don't want to cop out and say that, but I I think that's really the only thing where you're you're like, yeah, there's no worries here. Maybe the kicking game with Mason Crosby, maybe the offensive line if they're healthy, but I think clearly you have to say either Lacey or Rodgers, but I, I'll go with the obvious and say Rodgers here. I've got no concerns. If he's healthy, they're going to be great. Yeah, I think that's the easy one. I'll go a little bit further away, and I say after seeing how they played the second half of last year and how they've played the first four games of this year, I think that front seven is going to be good all year. Uh, they have enough options there. They have a ton of depth. It seems like every new guy that they bring in, now they they have J. Ron Elliott now. They they seem to have some stability with Nate Palmer. Um, Joe Thomas seems to be a force in there. Yeah. They, they have a lot of options, and I think is, again, same with your quarterback pick, as long as Raji and Daniels are healthy, I think that front seven is going to be good all year. Yeah, my only fear there. I like that you have so many bodies and so many guys that can you can plug in and play well. I just I just had this fear in the back of my head where you know it's still Nick Perry, it's still Mike Neal, it's still B.J. Raji. Like these guys could just revert back to their old forms at any time. And what's going on that they're playing so well through four weeks? Yeah, I, I guess I'm still not quite over it. Maybe at week eight I'd be ready to say that. I'm just maybe a little concerned still. But this time with Mike Neal and Nick Perry, they don't need to be as important as they were when they were initially drafted because they have Peppers and they have Clay Daytona Matthews. Well. And, yeah, they, they have Dayton in there. So I, I agree with you because I think they still are those same players, but I think they don't have to be as important as we expected them to be a couple years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, weaknesses. What's something that the Packers aren't very good at that isn't going to get any better? Um, I guess I'll go back to what we said before, and this might be my biggest concern in them making a run, is just playmakers on the outside at receiver. Uh, I like Cobb. He seems to keep getting banged up, though. If you lose him, I think you're in big, big trouble. But even with him out there, mm-hmm. you've got some inexperienced guys. Devontae Adams, when he comes back, and James Jones haven't really proven to get separation, can't get deep. And you just worry about running into a team like, like again, in 2011, the New York Giants, all of a sudden nobody's open. Mm-hmm. Rodgers is running for his life and starts turning the ball over, taking 100 sacks because he can't find anybody. Mm-hmm. And it, I just think they have this vulnerability, which hasn't been really exposed until this last Sunday. And you face a team with an even better defense, and it's going to show even more. I guess that's my concern about how this team could get knocked out in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think I might use that as my threat because I don't think it's necessarily a problem now, but for the reasons you described, it's certainly coming. This special teams is still not better, and that was supposed to be their emphasis. Mm -hmm. You have Tim Maste. I texted this to you yesterday, but he's kicking, he's punting like he's hitting a rugby ball with a wooden shoe. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of those punts that he had, how many shanks did he have yesterday? Two or three? Two at least, yeah. And then it seems to be rubbing off on Mason Crosby. He kicked one of the worst field goals I've seen him kick in three years. That was strange. And they, they've they been better on coverage, 
And I think Ty Montgomery has some chances to bust them open, but that that kicking game is not very good. And granted, it's arguably not going to be that important, but I am very terrified about field position with Mass Day as the season goes on. And you know that there is going to be some game where Aaron Rodgers drives him down the field in Arizona or in Carolina or in Denver to tie the game and Crosby misses the field goal or misses the extra point. Yeah. I, I'm just waiting for that to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm less concerned about Crosby, but I'm super worried about Mass Day. And we've talked about this before, but it's so strange as to what's happened there. Yeah. And you wonder at what point they might bring somebody in. I'll, I'll make the argument all day that they don't win the Super Bowl in 2010 if Mass Day is is bad or doesn't yeah, play the way he, he was is. Good. It can be the it can be the difference in a Super Bowl run. So if this guy keeps playing like this and can't figure out whatever it is that's stopping him from being what he used to be, that's going to be a big trouble. Yeah, I completely agree there. I, this team's coverage seems like it's been a little bit better. I like Montgomery back there. I still trust Mason, but Mass Day really scares me. I think if he isn't considerably better in the next two weeks, they'll cut him loose at the bye. Sure. Yeah, and I don't know who else is out there, but I, you always seem like you can find somebody who can step in and probably be better than he's looked so far. Yeah, who cares? As long as he's not terrible, um, especially with the offense, I think he should be okay. But we'll see what happens with that. Opportunities. So what's something that maybe isn't optimal right now that you expect to grow into a strength towards the end of the season? Uh, I'll go with the offensive line here. I think that it's it, they've been pretty banged up starting from the preseason, and that's something that maybe won't get better. But they were a real strength last year, and they've and they've hung in there this year so far. And Barclay hasn't looked great, but I, I think you get everybody back, and you get Bulaga back, you get everybody healthy, and this could all of a sudden become you know the diamond, dynamic run and passing offensive line that they were last year. So mm-hmm. um, it's a way that they could get better. There's probably not a whole lot of other spots that are going to get better. So I think mm-hmm. this is one. I like that one because the offensive line is getting a lot of heat from fans. And that, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. Maybe we'll do it real quick here in the middle of this segment. So we've had difficulties, or the, the Packers have had difficulties trying to get the ball down the field, and Aaron Rodgers holding the ball incredibly long, especially yesterday. Do you think that's more receivers, or is that more offensive line? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think I'm going to put it more on the receivers at this point, just because you kind of watch the replays, and there's really nobody getting open and kind of running strange routes where mm-hmm. – they maybe think they're open, but there's no way Rodgers makes that throw. It seems to me the offensive line hasn't been great, but I, I feel like Rodgers is getting a little skittish back there where he's starting to move around a little bit quicker than he even needs to because he kind of assumes there's going to be pressure. Yeah. I, I don't think they've been very good, but I I don't know if they've maybe been as bad as they <laughs> that he's made them look at times. He's always running around and escaping this pressure that sometimes doesn't even seem like it exists. So I, I think I might put that a little more on the receivers. Yeah, I think he just is kind of that player. Peyton Manning's done that for years. He just has happy feet. He just can't be yeah. Brady or Marino who just stands there and watches. <laughs> he just kind of has to be moving something. I think I agree with you. Bakhtiari got a lot of heat the first couple of weeks, and then it took a minute to realize that you know the Bears have some pretty good pass rushers. Then he's playing against uh, Michael Bennett and and you know Cliff Averill and some of those guys for the Seahawks, and then he's playing Justin Houston against Kansas City, so he played some pretty good guys, and yesterday he was very quiet. Bulaga's, or I'm, I'm sorry, um, Don Barclay is still a risk, but hopefully he can keep Aaron Rodgers upright long enough for Bulaga to get back. But yeah, I think you're right. I think th- that team didn't get a lot of continuity in the preseason because they they were banged up, as you mentioned. I think an opportunity is going to be, I mentioned the return game, I think that would be a a good candidate, but just this secondary has quietly been really good, and it's with Casey Hayward, who had almost no starting experience on the outside, and a whole bunch of rookies, and they haven't been a problem at all outside of a couple of plays against Kansas City, and that is awesome. They're only going to get better. You have guys like Quentin Rollins, who have hardly played at all, and then you have... Demarius Randall, who's making great plays out on an island, and it was his fourth game yesterday. You would have never realized that watching it. Think of how much better and more dynamic they can get with that front seven once they completely trust the back end of that defense. They could be awesome. They could be a top five defense this year and for years to come. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree <laughs> with that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little scared, but. They they played well so far, and Rollins had a really good game yesterday, and Randall made that one really nice play. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. They, they could be good. Well, and that's why it's an opportunity. You're, you're supposed yep, to be absolutely. scared about opportunities right now. It could I, be a threat, too, though. It, it could be, but, you know, the, the early returns is what this is premature 
um, discussion about a lot of this stuff. Anyways, the early returns are that the arrow is definitely pointing up for this yep. team. Yep, agreed. All right, what's your threat? Something that isn't a problem now but scares you as the season goes on. Oh, boy. I might have said changed my receivers one to this one had I had the opportunity here. Um, you can do whatever you fly. want. There's no rules. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'll say on the fly, um, man, uh, I might I might actually say the secondary on this one. Okay. Just because I like what you said, but I, I think it's also a threat too. It's an opportunity. There are a lot of young guys that could get better, but I, I'm still not real sold on Clinton Dix. The DBs are all very young. Sam Shields, we saw week one, got exposed. Mm-hmm. and has played some pretty poor passing offenses since then. Um, yeah. Morgan Burnett's been banged up and hasn't been playing too much. And I think without him, they're they're kind of average. So I, I get a little bit scared. And they luckily haven't seen a team like this yet. But if you play, And won't for a, a little while yet. <laughs> won't. Yeah, if you, and luckily the NFC is kind of voided of, of big-time passing quarterbacks, it seems like, right now. But if, if you end up running into a team like New England or somebody like that down the road, mm-hmm. or even you know the way Atlanta's looking right now, who the heck's going to cover Julio Jones without he's playing? Yeah. I, that, that does scare me a little bit. So I think they've got potential, and I think they could be really good, if not this year, in the next couple of years. But I'm a little scared against going against a big-time passing attack. Sure, I think that's fair. The Julio Jones one is a, a great point. That Atlanta offense looks really scary right now. Mm-hmm. Granted, they've played a lot of bad teams, but yeah, that that could be legit. And it's another thing that we've talked about about the Falcons a lot so far this year is it, once they get confident in themselves, they have enough guys on that team that have been successful that they can really start believing that this is the team that can do it. I am going to take a different angle on what you said your weakness was, and that is the deep passing game is scary but I think it's most scary that when the Packers under this offense have struggled to find a deep option or get the ball down the field, namely 2012, the successful counter to that is a successful and pounding running game. And Eddie Lacy is a great, great player, as is James Starks, both of which always seem to constantly get beat up throughout their careers. And... If that running game is intact the whole season, I don't know how big of a problem it is going to be that they don't have a breakaway deep threat week in and week out as long as they can hit some. But if Eddie Lacy goes down, then you're dependent on James Starks, who has never been you know, a, 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 a successful at staying healthy all year. I mean, not as a featured back. He's been great as a backup the last couple of years, but he's still... You know, the first three or four years, it felt like this guy's going to get cut. I think I picked him to be my surprise cut on one of these years because he just could never, ever stay healthy. And so thinking of putting the whole uh, weight of the uh, rushing attack on James Starks is scary. So I'll I'll say that as long as that running game stays intact, I don't think that the deep passing game will necessarily be a problem. But the threat is that if either of those running backs go away, then you've got big issues. Right, yeah. Without the deep threat, they're really going to have to kind of mirror, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but sort of mirror what New England has done, especially last year. They got it done with an offense devoid of, of a deep threat, too, and just a lot of these kind of slot, good catching, good route running guys. So you've got an upgrade from what they had in, in running back. I'll take Rodgers over Brady, and maybe I'll take Cobb over you know guys like uh, Julian Edelman. So it, you know, if they can do it, you've got maybe a better defense than they had last year. So it, the formula's worked before, so it can be done. It's not really what the Packers have done, but it definitely can be done. Yeah, so but now, now you said that, the Patriots really didn't. They had no running game and no deep threat, and were still able to be successful. So I think the yeah. Packers can do it. But they also get to play a bunch of bums to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I don't know. The I'm, the Cowboys will get back healthy. They're really the only person I'm scared about right now is Seattle still. But mm. you never know. Anything can happen. I'm starting to get more scared about the Falcons. Sure. I don't know. I think I think we brought defense. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess the key to uh, being able to stop Julio Jones is to just pressure the heck out of Matt Ryan, which they've successfully done when they've beat them in the past. So, yeah. All in all, the Packers are in real good shape. After four weeks, they're 4-0. Mike McCarthy said, I would classify this as a hot start uh, earlier in his press conference yesterday. Someone also asked him if he was worried about the team peaking too soon and if they have another gear, and his response was, hell yeah. So obviously, <laughs> I think he's definitely looking forward and thinking there's spots where they can improve. Before we wrap up yesterday, the Packers, or I'm, I'm sorry, the 49ers 
were terrible yesterday. And this was a team that went to three straight NFC Championship games just a couple years ago. And I was trying to think of another team in NFL history that were so quick to ascend from nothing. They were 6-10 and the year before Jim Harbaugh got there and went to 13-3 and in the NFC Championship game and were a perennial Super Bowl favorite for three straight years and then completely fell off the face of the earth. I was trying to think of another example of a team that just came from nothing into a super team back down to nothing in no time. And I'm sure there are other examples, but the only one I could remember off the top of my head were the Raiders in the early 2000s with, with Gruden yep. and Bill Sh- uh, and, uh, Shan- Was that Bill Callahan? Bill Callahan. Yeah, yeah. I almost called him Shanahan. Can you think of any others that were even close? No, not really. And how long did their run last? Like three, four years maybe? So they were, I don't remember what they were in 98. I think in 99 they were 8 and 8. Then they were, what, 12 and 4 AFC title game, then they lost the tuck rule game, then they went to the Super Bowl, then they were 4 and 12, and were, have never had a winning season since. Yeah, that, that's probably the best one. I mean, there's been teams that have had those miraculous one years, like the 98 Falcons, but for a team to actually have a stretch of, of really, really good football, some really good teams, that's, that's, that's pretty close. I mean, they made it to one Super Bowl each, lost it. And yeah. we're, we're contenders in their conference every single year for a three, four-year period. I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah, and I was going to say the Rams, but their success quietly continued into like the Yeah, mid- they lasted a little bit longer. Yeah, they had the, the Bolger run. Going way back, maybe the Dick Vermeil, Ron Jaworski Eagles, because I think they were pretty lousy. Sure. And then they were good for three or four years, lost the Super Bowl like all the other teams we mentioned, and then rock bottom again until Buddy Ryan got there in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. So maybe that team. I wanted to do the same thing with Kaepernick. Can you remember the last time a quarterback went from backup to $100 million quarterback to outright bum in record time? <laughs> that yeah, one was it's, harder. It's been pretty unique, that's for sure. Um, man, I, I mean, I kind of think of Neil O'Donnell maybe a little bit. Uh, but yeah. he at least took that team to a Super Bowl, but I mean, nobody really thought of him as an elite quarterback either, but he did get a big payday from the Jets. Yeah, and he was kind of around a little longer because, what, they went to the Super Bowl in 95. He, I think his first year as a starter was 92, so they were still around. That that might be a good one. Um, I mean, Kurt Warner is kind of that trajectory, but he proved to be that good of a player. I guess. Aaron Brooks, maybe? Yeah. He he was another guy that just seemed to linger forever. I don't. Did he ever get the huge contract from the Saints? I, yeah, I think he signed a big one with the Saints. Okay. And then he kind of stunk right as soon as he got that, if I remember right. A little bit different. What about Dante Culpepper? Yeah, that's a that's a good one too. I he kind of weirdly got really bad really quickly after. Well, he had the knee injury. Yeah, that probably led to it. But yeah, he bounced around a little bit after bit after that too, but looked pretty poor. But he did it twice. So he was his first year as a starter, he took him to the conference title game and then sucked for two years, then was maybe the best quarterback in the NFC for two years, and then sucked forevermore. Mm-hmm. It was really strange. So but again with Kaepernick, what his ninth or tenth career start was the Super Bowl. So that's certainly unprecedented. He's in uncharted waters all to his own right now. Do you think he has any chance of ever being a serviceable quarterback ever again? Didn't look like it yesterday. <laughs> you hate to say never again just because you've seen it before. It's kind of that RG3 thing. RG3 thing is, you know, you've seen him perform at such a high level. And even though he hasn't been the passer necessarily, he's at least been really, really good. And it seems like they're even willing to let him run more now to make him be more effective, and he still looks terrible. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd say it's a small chance, but just because he has done it before, I'm not going to completely count him out yet. Yeah, uh, they were on ESPN Milwaukee. They were saying how bad they thought that Kaepernick was. They brought up the really good point of trying to think of what offense he would thrive in. And they're thinking one where maybe Chip Kelly or something, but they brought up the great point that he is so much more athletic than Aaron Rodgers, but he's far less mobile. He seems to get caught, and I don't know if it's that long stride or whatever, but he can't escape pressure like guys like Aaron Rodgers and Andrew Luck can for some reason. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. If I remember correctly, his contract was structured in a way that it was very heavily incentive-based, and I think that the 49ers have a lot of outs built along the way, so they're not stuck with him through the length of this giant contract like the Bears are with Jay Cutler. I think that 
I don't know, maybe this next year, but if they yep, wanted to. I think to. it's after this year they've got an out if they want it. Okay, and you'd think at this point they might consider taking it. Yeah, it, you don't know what your choices are in, in, as an alternative, but to not have to pay him $22 million or whatever it is, it might be worth just letting him walk. Yeah, wow. that would. We thought that contract was stupid at the time, and I think almost everybody but the people who signed it probably did, but I didn't think it would go south this quick. Yeah, and not everything had to do with that, but we, we kind of thought the same thing with Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson's a lot better than Kaepernick. But you give a guy like that, that kind of a contract, he's got to carry the team, and we've seen it happen before. Maybe a guy like Roethlisberger turns into that guy. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, Russell Wilson and Kaepernick hadn't been that guy so far. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can't pay your great defensive players to stick around if you're paying him that kind of money, so he's got to be that guy. Yeah, definitely. One last thing about yesterday's game is the referees sucked again. I don't really have anything else to say, but ugh. Yeah, it's not even worth pointing out almost at this point. But I, I almost like at first when they had those three really bad calls against the 49ers right away, mm-hmm. you're like, man, I'm really glad I'm I'm not a 49ers fan right now. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what rules are anymore. They they yeah, it didn't was so, like a blatant face mask and mm-hmm. kind of a weird um, the one that they got the first down on that the head bob that the the false start. Uh, that, too, um, I was thinking of the contact down the field. It was just, like, the lightest little push I've ever seen. <laughs> that oh, yeah. happens on, like, every play. Mm-hmm. And they threw the flag for the the free first down on that when we were at, what, like, third and 20 or something like that? I think it was, yeah, something ridiculous like that. Mike Daniels got his shirt ripped off practically on the first three <laughs> plays. And then later they're calling holding on stuff that didn't look anywhere near as bad. Um, Randall Cobb had one where the guy was running behind him with his jersey out of his pants, you know, pulling that. And then he had his arm. It was... I don't know how you're supposed to play as an NFL player right now. Just do whatever you want and hope that... Just hope it doesn't get called because it won't, like, half the time, but will the yeah. other half the time. And so yeah, many so guys it. missing spotting the ball. That should be the easiest thing. I, I, If you have GPS for everything, people at work today were talking... I work at a, a college. It's a big building. People were talking about how you can use Google Maps and GPS to navigate in our own building. Why can't they do that on a football field? Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, but anyways, all right, let's uh, really quickly get to our picks. I did have one other thing that I wanted to write because I wanted to make my 85 Bears analogy, and I said I think Steve McMichael should be in the Hall of Fame if Dan Hampton is because he's got 95 sacks, which is the third most ever by a DT, and Dan Hampton only has 57. So Ugh. I think they don't like him because they're jealous that they weren't in the Four Horsemen. Yeah, <laughs> or they don't like the the wrestling thing that he went and wrestled for a little bit that's why kevin green isn't and that's my theory they just they think they're both goofs because of wrestling sure because kevin green wrestled like i don't know off and on for a few years so it could be i mean uh, i can't think of who else um yeah i was thinking like dick the bruiser but i don't think he was anywhere close to good enough to be a hall of famer Mm -hmm. okay anyways let's get to our week five picks um we'll try to do these pretty fast because we're running long so if Seattle wins, well, either way, um, me and Matt have the same pick for Seattle. And another kind of weird week, Matt, if Seattle wins, you'll uh, pull to above 500 for the week. Uh, but it's not going to be enough to close the gap. I got a two-game lead on you. So. All right. I can come back from that. Yeah, I think you can. All right. So week five here, we have the Indianapolis Colts at Houston. Indianapolis made the weird choice, but probably the right one, to bench their quarterback who maybe could have played so that they had him for a arguably more important game on a Thursday night. And it looks like it might work out for them, even though Indy looks terrible. Uh, They'll travel to Houston, a team who looks equally terrible. Yeah, the Colts have looked bad, but you at least like the fact that they beat a Jacksonville team uh, that although they're not very good, if you're playing a 40-year-old backup quarterback that hasn't played in three years and you still win like that's a pretty good sign yeah that your team that we thought was devoid of any talent besides Andrew Luck could still beat a full NFL roster yeah um or just a sign that the AFC South is devoid of talent other than Andrew Luck oh yeah it's absolutely miserable which is although the Colts are two and two and have looked terrible they're still going to win that division so I'll (laughs) say they're going to win this game Houston their pride is their defense and their defense has been atrocious so yeah I don't know what they have going for them I'll pick the Colts yeah uh, same here they have nothing at the quarterback position. They can't do anything offensively, and their defense can't stop anybody. You know, however good J.J. Watt is, it doesn't matter because the rest of the team sucks. So I'll take the Colts. Buffalo at Tennessee, interesting game. Buffalo is a lot like St. Louis where every time you think you know what you have in them, they revert to the opposite of what you expect. Yeah. Tennessee, I don't think played this week. 
so not sure what to expect from them. I'll I'll take Tennessee at home, actually, because Buffalo, hmm, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's that's a tough game. Uh, I'll I'll stick with Tennessee just as the home team. They have a couple weeks for it, and uh, Buffalo's so weird right now. (laughs) Yeah, they're good every other week. They're really good every other week, and their defense looks stifling at times, and then they give up a big game. So I... I, I'm going to pick Buffalo here. I, I just think it's going to be tough for Mariota to get stuff going against that, that defense, so I'll pick the Bills. Sure. At least, uh, unlike you know some of the other guys that Buffalo have really beat up on, again, another very, very small sample size, but it seems like Mariota uh, is at least as care- more careful with the football than some of those other guys. Yep, that's true. Cleveland at Baltimore. The Browns lost in such Browns fashion yesterday, allowing the, with a false, what, a offsides penalty on a that's game? Come on, Williams. Oh, it was on Tremont? Yeah, offsides on the field goal that was missed. Uh, well, you know, Sam Shields did the same thing this year, so it's probably a Sean Slocum uh, coaching tip that these <laughs> yeah. guys are still following. Uh, you get to pick first. Uh, I'll pick the Ravens. I I don't know. The Browns are better than I thought they were going to be this year, and unfortunately their record doesn't reflect it, really, at 1-3, and three, but the Ravens are the same and I think are a lot better at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I don't see them losing this game. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. Chicago at Kansas City, a team of, or a, a game of two teams that are really strange right now. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City at home, I guess. Uh, Chicago had a nice win yesterday against a game Raiders team, but again, I don't know how good the Raiders are. Chicago didn't exactly look that great. Kansas City is, I, I think they're better than one and three. They've lost to three pretty, uh, three undefeated teams in a row, so I think they'll recover at home. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, their secondary is really bad, but their front seven's really good, and their offense is probably a little bit better than Chicago's, and they're at home. They're a ten-and-a-half point favorite, apparently, according to the line I'm seeing right now, so I'd take the Bears all day with that action, but I will, uh, <laughs> I'll will i take the Chiefs in a straight-up head-to-head. Yeah, I don't know if I'd trust... I don't, I don't know if I'd bet Kansas City to score 11 points. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be like 17 to, to 10 or something like that. You win. <laughs> yeah. i got to find somewhere to gamble on that. Yeah. Well, we, we don't condone that. Go to DraftKings.com, actually. Probably lots of one-day... I don't know. I've never used it, and I won't, so whatever. Seattle at Cincinnati. I really hope we get to see this game. Yeah, this should be a great one. Uh, I'm going to pick Seattle on the road here. I think that the Bengals have looked really good, but they haven't seen a team like this yet. Mm-hmm. And Seattle, depending on what they do tonight, I think has probably got a head, st- head of steam going. They're healthy. they got Cam Chancellor back, so... I might want to change my opinion if Detroit somehow upsets them tonight, but I, I think I'll take Seattle. Yeah, I really want to pick Cincinnati here, but Seattle's a really good matchup for Cincinnati. I think they'll be yeah, able Dalton's to... Dalton's going to collapse. And... Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and if they shut down A.J. Green, he's got nothing. They've We've seen that in the past when he doesn't have A.J. Green to throw to or somebody can contain him. He's a pretty miserable quarterback when he has to do it himself. And Seattle can do that for him, and I think they'll be efficient enough on offense to get a win. Jacksonville at Tampa Bay. Ooh. Um, I'm going to take the Bucks, And they, I, I was texting you this yesterday. I feel like Tampa Bay is a lot better than their record. Jameis Winston just throws a billion interceptions. And if he could slow down and stop doing that, I think they're going to be pretty good. They He turns the ball over a ton, and then they always seem to be in the game. So he's... And people have been bringing up the Peyton Manning thing where Peyton Manning threw 28 picks his rookie year, and I know Andrew Luck threw a ton of picks too. I don't think he's going to be as good as either of those guys, but he'll be better than he is right now. And he's he's an idiot off the field, and he throws a lot of picks, but I, I kind of want him to be good at this point because I'm so tired of the Alex Smiths of the world and how it looks like Mariota's going to play. I want a bomber at quarterback who's going to take those chances, and so I kind of hope he's going to be good, and I think he's good enough to beat the Panthers. I mean, the, the, the Jags. It'll be hard to beat the Panthers this week while playing Jacksonville. Yeah, this is a really hard one. Uh, I think I'm going to take the Bucks too. They're at home, and I don't know. I like Mike Evans, and their defense is probably a little better. I'm just real down on Jacksonville after that loss to Hasselbeck and the Colts. That, that's a game you got to win. And if you're not good enough to win that, it probably won't beat the Bucks. I guess. It's, it might be might be a, a badly good game, like such poor play that it stays close throughout, and it's, you know, it's a, a photo finish kind of thing, but I'll take the Bucks. <laughs> All right, so another game of weird teams, the Saints at the Eagles. Who you got? Yeah, really weird one. And that that Eagles offense looks so bad. Yeah. Oh, man. Bradford so actually didn't play that bad yesterday. They just didn't score enough. It was one of those where you look at the stat line and he looked really good, but those plays that produced his three touchdowns and all of his yards was all they did. 
Sure, sure. And I didn't see any of that game, but you still lost to the Redskins, so that's not great. No. Um, but the Saints still looked pretty bad. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I've got a little bit more faith in the Eagles maybe getting that run game going against the Saints, so I'll pick them. Yeah, I'll just take them because they're at home. The Saints don't look very good at all. They were able to win yesterday. I didn't see the end of that game because when it went into overtime, I was just like, oh, these Sunday night games are so freaking late. I'm like, I'm not staying up to watch. I mean, it ended up being one play, so I should have, but I just could not care less by the end of that game. I'm like, just, I'm done with the NFL watching these bad teams on Sunday night football. Start that game like a half hour early. There's no need to have the late game end at 11 freaking o'clock central time. I can't imagine what it's like on the East Coast. On the East Coast, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, it's just, ugh, whatever. Uh, so Eagles, I'll pick as well. Washington at the Falcons. Any question here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, I'll take the Falcons, I guess. No no more than that. Um, Washington's, I can't believe they're 2-2. Two and two. yeah. Right now. Worst two and two uh, ever. And you, I could always see the Falcons having a bad game here and a, maybe a kind of a sleeper against the Redskins, but I'll take the Falcons. Devontae Freeman looks scary good right now. Yeah, yeah, he does. I was I was one of the idiots that drafted him in my fantasy league and cut him right away because he wasn't getting playing time, which was weird because I watched Hard Knocks last year and kind of heard some things in the preseason this year about how good he was, but he just never seemed to get the ball. Yeah, and. And now that the guy who was playing in front of him got hurt, he's just taken off like a rocket. So it's been, yeah, I don't know how this guy wasn't seeing the field more before. Yeah, yeah, you wonder how that happens, how he could just be on many people's bench. But I did the same thing last year in fantasy with Odell Beckham, so don't feel bad. All right. Uh, I, I picked the Falcons as well. Yes, I could see uh, in a perfect storm that Washington somehow sneaks this game away. But, oh, man, the Falcons are going to be 5-0, and and I... What, remember, was that 2012 where you picked it perfectly, where you're like, the Falcons aren't that good, but they're going to have the best record in the NFL because of their crappy mm-hmm. schedule? And the, yeah, I just, I, like every three years, I just pick the Falcons to have their good year. <laughs> to get the one seed in the NFC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that might happen again this year. Arizona at Detroit. Um, Arizona with a weird loss yesterday. Yeah, I'll pick them to bounce back here. I don't think Detroit's very good, and watch Matt Stafford get harassed by that secondary in that defense. So yeah, uh, they've got a chance to maybe impress tonight, but I'll pick the Cardinals in the meantime. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with almost everything you said there. You could see Detroit somehow squeaking it out just because the Arizona is one of those teams that just plays. They've been blowing teams out, but the mo of Arizona has been to play close to teams, and then you artificially create close games that you sometimes lose. So, you know, that's been Jeff Fisher teams for his whole career. Um, but then they got bested by, a, you know, the same situation yesterday. But, yeah, Arizona. New England at Dallas, a game that I think we'll get, although it's not that good. I'll, I'll say this yesterday. I have four TVs in my basement, so I watch a ton of crap. So yesterday the games weren't very good, and so I was watching some games from 1998 while I was watching the games from yesterday, and they showed a promo for New England at Dallas on one of the TVs, and my brain right away went, sweet, Bledsoe against Aikman? I'm like, I hope I have that game somewhere. And then I realized it was modern, it was going to be Brandon Whedon, and I got disappointed. Yeah, I I don't see Whedon beating this Patriots team right now. If it had Romo, this would be a great game, but unfortunately they don't. Yeah, uh, agreed. New England will win. Denver at Oakland. So I felt really bad because Charles Woodson bested Jay Cutler again yesterday, and he looks awesome. And if there was any question in anybody's mind that this guy was a Hall of Famer when he left Green Bay, I think he's confirmed it with how he's played in Oakland. This guy just never ages. He's so good. I wish we had him back. Yeah, um, you, you almost wish they could have used him maybe in a better way towards the end of his career That because right now he's probably better than what you've got planned back there. So if yeah. you could have maybe just utilized him a little bit better, you'd still be getting this out of him right now and never had to let him go. Yeah. Do you um, think, are you got the guts to pick an upset? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I probably would have picked this one prior to yesterday because I really like the Raiders, but how do you lose that game to the Bears? I, I think yeah. if you're a good enough team, you win that. So uh, the Broncos' defense is really good and probably shuts down. Uh, Derek Carr in that offense. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It doesn't seem like Peyton's going to get any better anytime soon, but that Bronco defense is really rolling, and it's going to take you know potentially a team like the Packers or the Patriots to put enough pressure on them. I should use more P words in a row there. (laughs) Um, To put enough pressure on that Bronco defense to really make Peyton uh, play bad enough to cause them to lose, but right now Oakland's not that team. San Francisco at the Giants, which is the Sunday night football game. What the heck? The last two weeks on Sunday night football. No way I'm staying up till 11 to watch this one. Yeah, agreed. Um, I guess I'll pick the Giants. Your, your 30, 49ers defense might be good enough to slow them down a little bit, but if Kaepernick plays like that, they're not going to beat anybody for a long time, so I'll pick the Giants at home. 
Yeah, and I was going to say the Giants still have a good pass rush, but I don't know if they have anybody left that I associate with their good pass rush over the years. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you if they do or don't. Yeah, so um, I'll take the Giants anyways. They only need a couple of big plays, and they'll be able to win. Pittsburgh at San Diego on Monday night. This is like a classic old-school ABC yeah. Monday night game. Yeah, what, 1994 AFC Championship game all over again. Yeah, there it is. Um, I think I didn't pick first for the longest time, so I'll I'll take yeah, the... San Diego just looks bad. Uh, but Pittsburgh on the road with Michael Vick, I, this will probably be pretty bad, actually, <laughs> this game. But I'll uh, I'll take the Chargers, I guess, reluctantly. Yeah, I'll pick San Diego, too. I, I kind of still like Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell to maybe run over that, that defense a little bit. But I think the Chargers can probably muster a little bit more of a spark on offense and Pittsburgh will be able to with Vick. He didn't look very good. Yeah. All right, so that leads us to St. Louis at Green Bay. So now the Packers get to play some teams that are okay at Lambeau Field going into the bye week, trying to be 6-0 and at the bye. The, you're probably going to hear a lot of angst and a lot of people trying to pick the Rams as a surprise team this week at the Packers. The Rams are weird, and they're such a Jeff Fisher team where they get up for these games against good teams, and then they're kind of bad against everybody else. They've lost to Pittsburgh 9-6 to when Roethlisberger gets hurt, and they've got blown out by the Redskins, and then they've beaten Seattle and the Cardinals. So that's kind of them in a nutshell. But I think this week you'll hear a lot of typical stuff that's said about the Rams and Jeff Fisher teams, that they're tough and they're disciplined and they're smart, which is codes for when we beat them, it was tougher than we thought it would be. So I, I'm still going to pick the Packers. I That front four, uh, front seven, actually, of the Rams is scary. Yeah, yeah. But the Packers could easily win this game going away 17-3 to again. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I think they'll probably be in Rodgers' face all day, but their offense is... It's basically been a couple of home runs and some good special teams. And, you know, I just keep thinking of that game against Pittsburgh with that low-scoring game and against a pretty poor defense. And you just kind of wonder if they're going to be able to get anything going against our defense, even if theirs plays really well. Yeah. And I'll I'll take Rodgers all day against a, a very good defense as opposed to Nick Foles. So mm-hmm. I, I am a little scared. I think you could definitely have an upset here, but I'm, I'm confident the Packers will win. And also Todd Gurley looked pretty good yesterday. Yeah, that's true. But I, I agree. At home, it hopefully will not take much. It's it's not they seventeen three might be the score again <laughs> this week. Okay, so that about wraps it up for this week. Um, not uh, much else to say, I guess. Real quick, who at this point at the the quarter mark, having not seen Seattle play tonight, is do you still think Seattle's the biggest threat in the NFC? Yeah, I would say for sure. Okay, yeah, I guess I have to see a little bit more out of Atlanta. I'm not worried about Carolina at all. Dallas. I think has been exposed a little bit. Uh, granted, they're down their two best players on offense, but they just can't hold any leads. It's it's a weird team right now. Yeah, I'd say they're probably my next one behind Seattle and then maybe Atlanta. But yeah, I agree. Carolina is not putting any fear into my heart at all. Yeah, I wanted to see real quick because I yesterday I was looking at how bad they played or how bad the teams were that they played. So they've beaten Jacksonville by 11, Houston by 7, the Saints by 5, and then Tampa by 14 yesterday. That's a really bad schedule. <laughs> yeah. And then they have a bye next week, and then they play at Seattle, Eagles, Colts, Packers. So I think we'll – oh, but then – oh, they're going to be good. They got Tennessee, then they got the Redskins, they got the Saints yet. They Ugh. What the heck? Why can't we get these schedules? I guess ours isn't that hard either. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's pretty weak. And I don't think they're a good team at all, but they're going to end up probably making the playoffs as a wild card. And who would have thought a second team might come out of that division? Yeah, they're probably going to, at this point, they're probably going to have two 10 and 6, 11 and 5 teams at least. Yeah. All right, so that about wraps it up for Green and Gold Forever this week. Uh, we did have a couple of comments on the Facebook page that I wanted to read. I often forget to do that, and I was seconds away from forgetting to do that this time. Um,. But we'll get to them real quick. Uh, we had a couple comments I asked, the same question I asked you, Matt, if the, your opinion of this team changed at all. And Caleb Pike said, I feel like the only thought about this game is, oh, yeah, Barclay isn't very good. <laughs> so we, we talked about that a little bit. I didn't see – well, who did, who is that guy who tore him up who was who I'd never heard of before? Lynch oh, or something? Yeah, Lynch. Yeah, I, I hadn't either. Yeah, that was the first time I'd heard of him. Yeah, so that's definitely not a good sign. But hopefully they're able to – kind of 
ride that wave with him a little bit until Bulaga gets back. And Corey Bend said, I like this team's chances to go all the way a lot better after a game like that. The Packers winning with dominant defense on a day when Rodgers didn't play particularly well is a great sign. If we can win when our super bar- superstar has an off day, it means other guys are stepping up their game and we can win in a lot of different ways. Skeptics might say the 49ers are a bad offensive team, and that's probably true, but not many teams will hold them to three points in under 200 yards. And I think that's a fair point as well, that you know, 200 yards is... You know, it's hard to hold college teams to under 200 yards. To do that in the pros on the road uh, against a team that can has potential explosive playmakers aren't doing that this year or really last year, but have done it in the past. Is still uh, they still should be feeling pretty good about themselves doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you want to make your own comments, you can go to Green and Gold Forever Podcast on the Facebook page. Uh, that's the name of the Facebook page. You can also send them to us on Twitter, at GreenGoldForever. That's the number four. Uh, you can go to our website, which is GreenGoldForever.Podbean.com. That's got all of our archives, also some articles. And don't forget to check out the KZ Green and Gold Forever preview. That's on KZ Radio, which is 92.9 in Appleton and the Fox Cities, 104.3 in Green Bay, or anywhere in the world with an Internet connection. At mykzradio.com, that will air on Friday. We'll be talking about the St. Louis Rams, and uh, that should be a good time. Last week, I came on after Bad English When I See You Smile and Bad Medicine Bon Jovi. So that's the kind of high quality that uh, we're dealing with here. Um, and I mean that sincerely. Those those are kind of fun songs. That sounded really sarcastic and bad, like I think the station stinks. I think the opposite. It's It's a fun station to listen to. So, for Matt in Altoona, I am Eric in Appleton. The Packers are 4-0. That's as best as we could have hoped for to start the season. And as we said last week, there's a lot of winnable games ahead of them. And uh, let's just see where this goes. It looks like it could be a special season. Take care, everyone.